You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. So this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast, and I have uh, Dr. Matthew J. Davis, MD. He's board certified in neurology and sleep medicine. He's the associate medical director and section chief of the neurology division at Sleep Dynamic in New Jersey. And he also currently holds a position at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson School of Medicine as a clinical assistant professor in neurology. So um, Dr. Davis or Matthew, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah, so tell me about um, your work. What, first of all, why do you work in the area you do? What uh, interests you about it? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, within medicine and, and within neurology sort of more specifically, sleep is really a, a growing area. It's it's multidisciplinary, which is actually one of the things that really attracted it to me uh to me originally when I when I was choosing what I what I was was doing with my life was uh you know the fact that it involves a lot of different specialties it involves neurology certainly it involves pulmonology it involves some degree of psychiatry and psychology and it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting field in that it sort of ties a lot of these things together and and is more and more recognized as you know sleep medicine and sort of healthy sleep in general is more and more recognized as a important and you know sometimes overlooked feature of of good health in general and how it impacts you know, other other aspects of, of disease and, and other aspects of sort of the body's physiology and, and um, it's sort of emerging as a as an important you know sort of uh, overlooked area that that uh, influences all these different things so so that's really what what uh, got me into it initially when I when I was uh, choosing my specialties right. years ago yeah and what's the latest and greatest with your research what are you working on right now. So I, I, so I, I don't, I'm not, I don't do any sort of uh, original research. I spend all my time doing, uh, <laughs> doing uh, volumes of seeing patients. But the, you know, the, the, the interesting sort of things, sort of um, emerging, emerging from sleep, I think, are, are a lot of the, the um, sort of the, tech, the, the technological aspects of monitoring and some of the, some of the uh, consumer devices and some of the, the sort of wearable technology that's that's out there that's that's of sort of varying legitimacy to be perfectly frank but but you know sort of collecting a lot of data on on um uh you know sort of people's sleep habits and and how you sort of convert that data into usable um uh sort of um or something we can use as as uh, as physicians as clinicians that that can actually you know improve people's sleep habits and quality of life and whatnot and and that's i think the 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 area that that's sort of most exciting, I think, at this point, where uh, you know we're sort of trying to figure out what do we do with with this this data that we have that we can collect, um, and and how do you you know give feedback not only to to physicians but also to to patients themselves uh, with some of this uh, this data that can be collected, and how do you how do you translate that into uh, um, 
you know, sort of improved improved sleep quality, which is sort of the goal. Um, and I find, I find all that very interesting. And it's, okay. it's like I said, it's sort of a a, a, um, a, 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 a sort of large spectrum, a wide spectrum of uh, of usability and and usefulness in a lot of the things that are out there. Um, and, and that's pretty interesting. Well, have we quantified what a good night's sleep means? That's actually a great. That, that's a that's a very uh, a very good question, actually, and and that's one of the one of the most important things for for people to understand and uh, and for patients to understand. People who come see us, you know, we say, you know, what is the the goal of healthy sleeping is not necessarily some externally measured um, parameter that you're you're aiming for, and in fact, healthy sleep is restful sleep that that uh allows you to function well the next day that is really the whole goal for everybody it's not a certain number of hours of sleep it's not uh you know some a lot of the devices that are out there measure uh measure things that are of questionable uh questionable use and so so the goal in everybody should not be x number of hours the goal should be i feel pretty good uh the, the next day and and so that's really the most important thing and that's one of the things i actually spend a lot of time uh, um, talking to patients about is 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 just that whole concept that you are not looking for um, a, a goal hours you're not looking for 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 anything else externally measured you're looking for good sleep quality that you feel okay the next day that being said there of course there are population averages and there's population data of most people need on between seven to nine hours of sleep to feel okay the next day but that's not necessarily uh, recommended for any individual person that's that sort of population data you know so so um, that's, yeah. that's actually one of the things we talk a lot about what is what is good sleep well it's what good sleep for you is what good sleep is for you not necessarily for someone else so so um, that's actually a great hmm. question yeah. Well, I guess if you ask someone if they hopefully they could remember, you know, to think back on a time or times where they woke up, you right. know, they felt great according to them and yeah. they felt like they had really good sleep, you know, what and then figure out with them what, you know, what that felt like and then that's their goal, their particular yeah. personal goal. Absolutely. That's and that's that's often how how a lot of this is done. It's it's very personal. It's very uh, um, uh, sort of tailored to to people's individual needs. And and there's a lot of I mean obviously there's a lot of factors that go into people who have who have legitimate sleep disorders. People who have other medical conditions that affect the quality of their sleep. All of that factors in. But yeah, I mean people will often say you know years ago I I you know I I slept. Eight hours and I felt great. Well, great. Then that's then that's a great goal for you. But in some people, they say if I could just get five straight hours, I'll feel great. And then that's the goal for you. You know, it's not it's not uh, it, there's no universal recommendation that that fits for everybody. So yeah, I agree. Hmm. So what are some of the um, the surprises, or the clinical surprises, or observational ones that you've had recently, you know, maybe the last few years? Um, yeah, you know, I I think. I think, like I said, um, some of the the impact of some of the 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 technology that's available to consumers. I think the impact of that that that's having on on sort of uh, on us clinically and what you know when we see people in the office um, is is sort of. Um, it's surprising, but at the same time, sort of predictable. You know that that a lot of these devices, as uh, the, what they're measuring, um, can actually just the just by nature of the measurement is sometimes making people's sleep quality worse. Um, it's giving people sort of this this artificial. Um, 
uh, artificial piece of data that they focus on, that they, they sort of obsess over about, again, number of hours slept, things like that, that actually is now proved. There, there's actually some studies, and I'm blanking on, on, on what journal it was in recently, but that, that actually um, – actually show a clear correlation with worsened sleep uh, quality in people who are wearing uh, 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 you know, certain wearables for sleep or, or you know, sort of using other sort of data that they, they gather externally. Um, and so I think that, that's been sort of, a, like I said, it's a little bit of a surprise because uh, certainly that wasn't the intention of, of a lot of these devices, but, but um, uh, it, it also on some level was, was a little bit predictable because a lot of people with, and I'm talking mostly about people with insomnia here, um, uh, you know, a lot of the issues are, are, are sort of this, uh, this faulty, um, uh, almost obsession or, or, uh, focus on, on sleep time rather than sleep quality. And, and, uh, I think it's driving that forward. That being said, all, like I said, initially, a lot of this data that's being collected that, that people using their phones, people using different sort of devices that they wear to, to sleep to sort of measure their sleep quality. Um, that's a lot of data that's being collected that, that, um, uh, you know, I want, you know, how can that be put to use in the future? And that's sort of a, an, an exciting area to think about. But, but uh, I think the surprise is that at least temporarily for the, for the, uh, for an individual patient, if you, if you focus too much on that data, it actually can make your sleep worse. Um, you know, I know when you do a sleep study, you can get tons of data. I don't even know right. all the things you can get, right. but at home with these devices, can you get useful data that will really I don't know, will really inform us of uh, what's going on with sleep, or do you really need to have better equipment? Well, so I mean, I did, so you are getting limited data. A lot of the devices that are used, um, my understanding of uh, how a lot of them work, they're essentially just accelerometers that are measuring movement. And and in fact, that that's been done for actually many many years uh, in sleep uh, sort of research settings. A lot of the big academic centers have been doing this for many years. Uh, basically, in in researching various sleep disorders, you can put an accelerometer on someone uh, on their wrist for uh, you know a couple nights in a row and and get some data of how uh, sort of an objective measure of how someone might be sleeping or how at least how long they're sleeping. Um, but you are missing a lot of data through that. Absolutely. You're, you're not really measuring different sleep stages. Sleep, you know, generally uh, uh, comes in sort of four different stages that you cycle throughout the night and you don't really get that data from any wearable device, at least that I'm aware of. Um, you're really getting asleep or not asleep. Um, uh, and again, a lot of this is just based on motion data. Um, so in research settings, that has been used for many, many years. But the the fact that it has sort of blown up in the consumer market, and there are so many people, you know, using these the, these devices. Um, like I said, it's it's an interesting sort of trove of data that's out there. But but to answer your question, it's not it is not really measuring all parameters of sleep in any in any particularly useful way beyond just how long are people sleeping for. Um, and that, that's that's interesting in and of itself. But you're missing sleep staging. You're missing what you know sort of other physiologic parameters of 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 breathing and and heart rate and limb movements um uh and and various and eye movements and various things like that so so when you do a a sleep study in a sleep lab uh you're getting all this this sort of wealth of data that you can make certain predictions and diagnostic various disorders and you really can't do that with um these kind of consumer devices that that we're talking about useful in some settings and and what i tell 
a lot of patients is if you want to, you know, wear it for a couple days here and there just to sort of get an objective measure of what you're doing, totally fine. But it, the problem becomes when people start uh, using using this uh, device to for it to tell you how you slept rather than uh, sort of using your own perception. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've been wearing a, you know, a glucose, a continuous glucose monitor, huh? Huh? and I noticed during during sleep, you know, my uh, my blood sugar fluctuates, so I've been wondering if that's correlated to the stages of sleep. I don't know if, if you've seen anyone doing that or have any data on that or you know, I know that, that they have accelerometers and stuff, but how about this? Yes. Yeah. You know? yeah, so I I don't I don't know of anything sort of directly on that on the continuous glucose monitoring on and, and, and how that's been been used as far as a sleep situation. But definitely we know that um sugar control is is tied in to sleep quality. A lot of sort of hormonal changes that happen with sort of good quality sleep or not so good quality sleep and, and uh, cortisol and growth hormone and various other kind of uh, um, uh, changes that occur in the body when you're sleeping can aid in sugar control. And in people who, for instance, are having very sort of wildly fluctuant blood sugar, uh, actually screening for sleep disorders, particularly sleep apnea, is actually a, a I don't. I don't know that that's the recommendation just yet, but I think it's getting there, and and I think in more and more things like that are are um, are recognized. Yeah. So so I'd be. Yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting uh, area area for research. No question about it. And especially with this new usable data of of the continuous monitoring, that's actually really interesting. Uh, a really interesting thing to think about, actually. Has Fitbit or any other large outfit released any studies or data, or are they keeping it close to the vest? Yeah, so I'm not aware that they have released anything in particular. The only I, I am aware of a few studies that a couple academic departments did um, just on the use of wearable devices. Period. You know, I, I don't think they 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 were talking about you know what brands, but but um, they're all basically doing the same thing, which is just measuring movement. Um, some of them have a light sensor, which helps you sort of predict sleep, also. But but um, yeah, I'm not aware that they've released any any data on that. But that's that's to me, I think would 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 be an interesting. Uh, an interesting thing to look at is just where, what can we do with this this vast amounts of data that's being collected, and that's not the only thing that's being collected. You know, people who who, for example, are are um, are being treated for sleep apnea with a CPAP machine. The the modern day CPAP machines also collect data and upload all sorts of information uh, to the cloud. Now that's done primarily for insurance purposes so that pe- so that the insurance companies can verify people are using these machines that, that the insurance company is paying for. Um, but, but all that data is out there too. And, and uh, it, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of information that, um, uh, you know, again, I, I think that uh, some population studies of, of uh, sleep quality and, and sleep, sleep time and how that relates to things like you're talking about with the new, the new sort of continuous uh, uh, glucose monitoring, for example, how you correlate all these things together. Yeah. What's on your wish list of things to measure? You know, and is it happening or it's not there yet? Yeah, if if you could sort of uh, sort of look at other parameters of sleep, I mean, I think I think you know to whatever degree home sleep testing can begin to mimic in lab sleep testing, that would be the the the, the really the 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 wish list there. You know, the what we've been talking about are sort of consumer wearable uh, monitors that people people just sort of buy, but but. You know, there's a whole other field of just home sleep testing that that you know, as clinicians, we're sort of being pushed into more and more for insurance purposes, um, and and home sleep testing, uh, you know, ordered by a physician is is 
is a is pales in comparison to what can actually be done in the sleep lab. Um, home sleep testing is essentially just a respiratory monitor, a heart rate monitor, and a and a oxygen uh, saturation monitor. And the only thing that's really good for is measuring for sleep apnea, and that's fine. And there's some issues with that also. But but you know, like I mentioned before, in the sleep lab, you get a lot a lot more data. Um, so so. So whatever to whatever degree that that uh, sort of wealth of data could be translated into some kind of home sleep monitor would be would be particularly useful from a from a clinical perspective definitely. Well, have you have you read over any um, sleep study data sets and uh, you know just to see what's in them and to think about the whole process? Uh, what do you mean in particular? I don't know what you mean. You know, it might be interesting. Uh, probably most of the world wouldn't think it's interesting. But, uh, <laughs> you know, sleep sleep nerds would, but. Uh, you know, what if you sat down with a few sleep studies and just right. looked through all the data that they collected, whether, you know, they say anything about it in the report or not, you know, have you done that? Maybe that would inform you about, huh, that's interesting. I didn't know that, uh, you know, this and that happened and no one seems to be talking about it. Yeah, you know, that that's, that. so definitely there is, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of research being done into some of the other aspects of the data that we get from a sleep study and and how that predicts other kind of disease or how that predicts um, you know other kind of issues that people are having um, and and there are there are some some uh, some interesting interesting things that sort of they're they're pulling out of some of this data you know different sort of EEG characteristics in people's sort of uh, you know brain waves I'm talking about in in people who are more prone to depression people who are more prone to things like fibromyalgia people who are more prone to insomnia you see certain characteristics on on EEGs uh, when when they're sleeping more than others um, uh, you know th- there is there is sort of ongoing ongoing uh, looks into this um, I'll tell you the one of, one of the real challenges with with sleep studies in general though is that this is a um, an, an artificial uh, environment you know the 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 nature of, of much like many other things in science the nature of making the observation also changes the results to some degree and you know when we bring people into our sleep lab as nice as we make it um, the the um, their 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 sleep quality is different than it would be at home they're wearing all sorts of monitors and are attached to wires and all sorts of you know other kind of parameters that are being measured and and just by nature of being in that situation and 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 wearing these these monitors it is changing the characteristics of what we're measuring and so so that that sort of really taints a lot of the data i think unfortunately so in research settings when they when they do this a lot of the big the big sleep centers at at some of the universities will actually do if for for research purposes they'll they'll do two three nights in a row so that after you know you know they and sort of throw out the first nights of data be the first nights data because it is it is so unreliable in a clinical setting we can't really do that you know we have we have one night to to get what we can but in research scenarios they actually do do that and like i said there are some things that are being pulled out of especially some of the eeg data of how how certain characteristics of brain patterns um while sleeping uh can predict um other um sort of neurologic and 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 psychological um uh, syndromes that people may have associated with their sleep issues so what what's on the table for you you know over the next six months to two years, what are you working on and what do you want to accomplish in the sleep world? 
So we're so I I think the big area for everyone who's doing who's doing sleep, other than a lot of things we just talked about, is is better treatment for insomnia. Um, insomnia is by far the most common sleep disorder. Uh, it's not necessarily what we see most of in a sleep. Uh, uh, clinical setting because a lot of people don't come to the doctor for it or they're just taking pills or, or whatever. Um, so we, we see a lot, of, uh, a lot more things like sleep apnea, for example. But, but insomnia is by far the, the most common sleep disorder in the population. And I think you know, stuff that we're working on at our office and, and, and I think in general um, is sort of better treatments, um, non-pharmacologic treatments for, for insomnia. And how, how do you evaluate these patients better? How do you get them sort of uh, uh, behavioral therapy, which is really a, 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 the, the sort of gold standard for treating, for treating insomnia? And how do you design a program, uh, sort of a clinically uh, reasonable, a, a, a self-sustaining program that, that you can actually, um, uh, you know, sort of sustain a business with um, by treating these patients? Because that's a really undermet need um, you know, everywhere. And, and people are relying on sleeping pills much more than they should be and uh, through no fault of their own. And, um, you know, how do we deliver care to these people in a, in a, uh, in a reasonable way, uh, both clinically and, and sort of uh, financially and in the sort of uh, insurance uh, environment that we live in? Um, so that, that's really where, where our goals are over the next uh, couple of years is, is how, to, how to sort of better design sort of a program in, in a community setting that, that can deliver that kind of care. Are you hearing anything new from patients, you know, or from people over the last, uh, last few years? Do you see any emerging trends? Um, yeah, you know, I think that uh, a lot of this goes back to some of the stuff I was talking about before as far as some of the, the wearable technology that's out there. I think the other thing that's, that's becoming really um, apparent is um, a lot of the, you know, as, as more and more research is being done into sleep, uh, uh, a lot, you know, obviously patients are becoming more aware of some of the consequences and, and um, uh, sort of pitfalls related to poor quality sleep. Um, and that has both a, a sort of positive and negative effect. Positively, obviously, it gets people in to sort of address some of these issues. But negatively, um, one of the big problems with people who don't sleep well is, is their uh, – um, I, I hesitate to use the word obsessing over over sleep quality can can often then turn around and make it worse. So so a lot of the, the things we're seeing emerging more and more is as this is becoming a, a much more as people are becoming much more aware of of the importance of all of this. It's sort of having the it's a little bit of a double edged sword in that it's also you know then going on to the recognition of it is actually sort of worsening things in some people. Um, I think the the other sort of emerging or not really emerging so much as continuing challenge is how we navigate the um the testing where we want to do versus the uh the testing that we're we're sort of made to do from a, a an insurance perspective um a lot of there's a lot of um uh push to do a lot of this home sleep testing in, in inappropriate settings and sort of how we how we navigate through that uh while also you know delivering good care and not wasting people's time and things like that and so these are these are a lot of the things we're we're sort of actively trying to to work through but those are those are the big things and the other and, and I can just let me say one other yeah. thing the, the other thing that that's becoming more and more uh 
that we're hearing, especially from patients more and more, are sort of these alternative treatments for, for sleep apnea. You know, CPAP, of course, is the, is the, uh, the, the gold standard for treatment for, for sleep apnea. But, you know, people obviously, uh, you know, sometimes have some issues with it or can't do it or don't want to do it or whatever it is. And there's, there are these emerging um, uh, um, sort of alternative uh, ways of treating sleep apnea. And that's, that's a really interesting area, too. You know, for, for years, certain surgeries were done. Some of those have fallen out of favor. The ENT doctors have sort of developed new procedures um, that may be promising. There's a lot of dental devices that are, that are more and more popular that are, that are becoming uh, a standard for a lot of people. The, one of the newest things is uh, fairly new. It's actually a couple years old now is, is this sort of paced nerve stimulator that gives your, your sort of upper airway muscles a little jolt every time you breathe, and that can open up your airway as opposed to using something like CPAP. So there's a lot of interesting um, uh, things on the horizon there. The, the ultimate there would be, you know, developing some kind of uh, miniaturized CPAP device, but that's, I think, still uh, a ways off. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting things um, uh, going on there as well. What's the name of the nerve stimulator? That's the first so I've that's heard of it. Called, yeah, that's something called Inspire. Um, it's not done in a lot of places. You really, uh, it's usually done at academic centers, but, but more and more you're seeing it out in the community. And again, it sort of is, is a paced stimulator where basically based on your respiratory rate and you turn it on basically with this magnetic wand, it's implanted under your skin. It's, it attaches to, to some of the nerves that go to your upper airway muscles. And, and based on your respiratory rate at night, it basically will give your muscles a little bit of a, of an electrical stimulation to, to stimulate them. A lot of sleep apnea occurs just from basically loss of muscle tone of those muscles, uh, and if you sort of stimulate that electrically, it can it can treat people with sort of an appropriate, you know, sort of moderate to severe sleep apnea in the right patient who who um, who can tolerate a procedure like that. Uh, it is actually becoming an option. There's some issues with it, obviously, but but that's sort of an interesting uh, uh, an interesting new trend that's becoming more popular too. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, yeah, no pro- all your thoughts it. and information. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.